So we're in this series on the spiritual gifts. We're coming to the end of the series. We've been studying all the gifts, and I think we have a list of the various gifts that we've been studying on the next slide. You can see that there are quite a number in the New Testament, and this list is probably just suggestive of all the gifts that uh, a person could have or people could have within the community of faith. And the story is that God, when he poured out his spirit, gave gifts to the people of the community of faith of the church so that we could minister one to another. We've been saying a couple of important things about these gifts. They're not really best thought of as gifts, to be translated as gifts. Really, what we should be thinking about is grace ministries. It's probably a better translation. These are ministries of grace in the body of Christ. And, and sometimes it has to do with our abilities and, and we do things that, that we're just naturally good at or God has enabled us to be good at in the community of faith. And then sometimes we're even called, we're assigned by the Holy Spirit to take on a ministry that functions not in our strength but in our weakness. And so we have to be prepared for that possibility too. And in our dependency upon God, He enables us to bless the community in a way that we didn't think we could. But by His power, His strength in us, we're made able to do that. And one of the things that we've been saying is encouraging you not to wait for permission or title to live into your spiritual gift. You don't need to be told by somebody in leadership at the church, okay, you can go do this now. The Holy Spirit has already, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has already commissioned you and empowered you to live in His fullness. And so you don't need to wait for a permission or a title. In fact, the idea it would be that people would be doing ministry to one another and the human structure of the church would be running to catch up with what's already happening as the Holy Spirit orchestrates the ministries of the church, not the other way around. And there are so many needs in the community of faith everywhere you look. And I would encourage you, if you feel like you're not living out your gift, to get into community to get into a home group where you're going to meet people and you're going to be part of a, a community of people where the different gifts are being manifest and you can live them out in each other's lives. So many needs. Now today, we're going to look at three gifts um, that some of you have been eagerly awaiting. Um, these are the gifts, uh, I'm calling them the gifts of portent, which is maybe a bad choice. I know I've used my uh, allotment of obscure, obscure words now already this morning. Uh, gifts of portent just means foreshadowing or a harbinger, something that's going to come. Sometimes people call these the sign gifts. I didn't use sign gifts because sometimes people speak about them negatively using that term. And I like, I like the way this one felt. So we're calling the gifts of portent. And these gifts are the gifts of healing, miracles, and tongues. So would you open with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, and we're going to explore the gifts of healing, miracles, and tongues. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll give one to you. I um, want you to be able to follow along, so don't be shy about raising your hand. You can take that Bible home with you if you need one. Put it on your nightstand. Read it in the morning. Read it before you go to bed. Get it in your life. It's page 663 in that particular Bible that we hand out. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. I know some of you are tiring even of this scripture because we've read it a number of times throughout this series, but um, hopefully it'll be lodged into your heart and your mind and you won't be able to forget it and really do its work in you. So verse 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 
To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you're sitting there and thinking, oh, I don't have anything to offer, if you're a follower of Christ, that's not true. You do. Because to each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 8, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, that's for today, to another the working of miracles, also for today, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, look at that one today as well, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And if you'll look over in verse 27, now skip down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Remember, this is not like Costco membership. This is real being knit together kind of membership in each other's lives. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, there it is, then gifts of healing, another one helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Now listen to this. Are all apostles, rhetorical question, no. Are all prophets, no. Are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And you're going to have to come back next week to hear about the excellent, more excellent way. Because this week, we're going to focus on these three gifts, healing, miracles, and tongues. And I want to say this to you uh, at the outset. Expect signs, expect to be blessed with signs that point you to Christ and point others to Christ. That's kind of our main point. Expect to be blessed with signs that point you and others to Christ. And I want to look at this in in three different movements. I have some preliminary thoughts. It's kind of a hot topic, the spiritual gifts, and so I want, to, I want to pick through some ideas there as we approach this topic. And then we're going to look at the three terms, healing, miracles, and tongues. And then I want to finish briefly with this simple question, what is God doing with the sign gifts, the gifts of portent? What is God accomplishing through these? So let's jump in, preliminary thoughts. Romans 14, verse 17, and we'll put it up here for you, says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And my wife's dad made the point to me a long time ago that uh, when you think about the community of faith, people tend, churches tend to gravitate to one of those three. So think with me, if you've been in the church world, maybe the American church world, you know, there, there are the righteousness churches. These are the churches that are focused on the scripture and they're really about getting things right. Uh, they, they value expository preaching um, and, and, and they kind of have that approach to things and, and learning and growing. There are the peace churches, which um, have this tendency to want to go out into the world and address the social ills that beset our broken and fallen world. And they're really good at that and they get out in the community and, and do stuff and they make peace. And then you've got the joy in the Holy Spirit kind of churches, right? You've got the, the charismatic churches, and you walk in, and, and, you know, we might have like five people raising our hands. They have like a hundred people raising their hands, right? Everybody feel, everybody's happy and smiley and joyful, and you just sense this, you know, uh, this sort of, this wetness of the Spirit when you're in that kind of a context. 
And the point of this passage is actually that the kingdom of God is all of those together. And so when you think about what kind of church you would want, we ought to have a church where all three are working in concert together. Where we're studying the scriptures and we're really intense on getting it right. And then we're out in the world serving where there's brokenness and need. And then we're filled with the Spirit. You know, when we come together and worship and you, you sense this. And, and people are looking and seeking for God to move by His Spirit. That's what I aspire to. I don't want to be just one of those three. I hope that as a church we can continue to grow into all three of those aspects of what it means to be healthy. Now, having said that, our DNA is what? Where do you think, which one of those do you think we come out of? We come out of the righteousness part, okay? We're about teaching the scriptures, and I love that. I love to sort of geek out about the scriptures and get into it and dig in and preach and proclaim and, and for us to be studying it together. This is sort of our, our sort of background, our DNA. So when we move in that direction, it's easy for us. We, we say, we're going to teach this, and, and we respond. When we move in some of the other directions, it's a little bit more challenging. Now, God has used this church in many ways in this community to, to address issues of poverty, and we're still at that work. And, and even with Andrew Franklin having left, we've got multiple people sort of taking up the cause, and so I'm very excited about that. Um, we're going to continue to grow as a church of peace in this place. Uh, and we also want to be a, a joy-filled church, a, a, a church that acknowledges the presence of the Holy Spirit and seeks the Holy Spirit. And probably because of who we are, that's going to be a little more awkward for us to move into. It's, it's not as natural and not as easy for us. But if we are going to be true to our calling to be a biblical people, then we've got to take this journey because the scriptures teach strongly about it if we're going to be biblical. Now, if we're going to do this, we need a kind of a balance as we approach the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, you see all throughout the New Testament conversation about the gifts of the Spirit, and in particular, the various ministries of the Spirit. Um, I put an article on our in-house Facebook page this week, and by the way, if you're not a part of that, send an email to info at solanochurch.org. We'll get you into that. We just post sort of additional things, teaching things, things that are going on in the community in there. Um, so, so just get a part of that. I posted an article by Sam Storm, and he says this about the gifts. He says, in the New Testament, speaking in the New Testament, um, he speaks of the consistent and indeed pervasive and altogether positive presence throughout the New Testament of all the spiritual gifts. And then one more quote, Martin Lloyd-Jones, great British pastor from previous generation who was known for expository preaching and just being in the Word. He came out of that, maybe if you want to call it that righteousness vein. He says this, it is perfectly clear that in the New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs, wonders, and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only meant to be true of the early church? The scriptures never anywhere say that these things were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. And so on one side of the ledger, we see that the scripture teaches about the gifts and the movement of the Holy Spirit, and things of healing and miracles, and we could put tongues in that category. So, so we have that strong teaching. And I would say that in our particular place, uh, living in the Bay Area, which is known for its intellectualism, this may be more important than we realize. I'll tell you what I mean by this. I think that with our, our intellect, we can oftentimes only get so far with the Lord. 
Because as human beings, we are more than just brains. And there are pieces of us that need to be addressed by the movement of the Spirit. And if we, you know, you've probably had this conversation with some brilliant intellectual person in the Bay Area, and you're talking about the things of God, and you go round and round and round, because you'll never get there solely on reason. There are questions we can't answer solely by reason. I read a book recently by uh, Nabil Qureshi, and he is an intellectual. He was uh, Muslim, and it's a story of his journey to faith. And, you know, it's maybe 300 pages. In 250 pages, he's going through this really rigorous intellectual um, conversation he's having with, with, a, with a Christian friend and sort of addressing all kinds of challenging doctrines and what have you. And he gets to the end, and, and you can see that he's been convinced by it all, and yet he can't bend the knee to place his faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not until he has these three miraculous dreams that he finally gets the courage to come to Christ and place his faith in Christ. So the intellect is really important. We don't want to let, let go of that, but we, we don't want to be uh, reducing it all down to the, the, our faith to an intellectual exercise. Human beings are spiritual beings, and there's something else going on that we need to pay attention to. And that's what the spiritual gifts are doing. They're helping us to pay attention to that spiritual side. We need a holistic gospel if we're going to see, I believe, people to come to faith in this place. So on the one side, we've got to embrace what the New Testament teaches, but the New Testament also teaches us to embrace it carefully because there are some concerns that come along with our opening ourselves to the movement of the Holy Spirit, and the New Testament teaches us about that. For example, we, we need to be careful that healing and miracles and tongues in particular don't become a kind of a, a new legalism for us, such that we begin to look around and say, well, if you don't have the gift of tongues, then you're somehow less than. Maybe you, you haven't really come to faith. The, the, the teaching in 1 Corinthians 14, um, excuse me, in 12 that we read, indicates that not all people have the gift of tongues, and that's Okay. So we need to be careful not to approach this and to turn it into kind of a new legalism. So new legalism is one concern. Another concern is the concern of idolatry, the idolatry of experience. It's exciting to be around somebody who's been healed or an event of healing or a miracle that's taken place or somebody speaking in tongues. And what can happen easily because of the, the wonder and the beauty of it is that we can begin to substitute that experience for our pursuit of Christ and our relationship with Christ. And it becomes an idolatry. Now we're no longer aiming at Christ and pursuing Christ, but we're trying to pursue an experience. And all kinds of problems come with that. In fact, Jesus warned, he said, this evil generation seeks a sign. He was speaking to particular people who were elevating the sign above pursuing him. Another concern to be careful of is this sort of triumphalistic attitude where we forget that the kingdom of God is with us, but it's with us in an already not yet kind of way. In other words, the kingdom has come, and we will see the kingdom bursting forth into our current experience, and the Holy Spirit will bring that. But we are still living in a fallen, broken world, and there are going to remain sicknesses and problems and, you know, areas where we would want miracles that we're not going to see. We've got to have a category in our minds for the not yet. 
and we need to be careful we don't get triumphalistic such that we give people the impression that if they're not being healed, there's something wrong with them or maybe they're not really praying, there's something wrong with the people praying. This world will continue to be battling against the decay that comes from the fall. And so we've got to acknowledge that reality. And, and at the same time, God will break in. And then we have to be careful of deception. And Jesus had some very harsh words about this, hard words. Paul had some very hard words about this, that the evil one loves to get into the mix when we're talking about healing and miracles and tongues and prophecies and stir up trouble. And so we've got to be very careful to test what is going on and make sure that aligns with Scripture and is truly and sincerely a work of God. I, I think there's a good summary for this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. We'll, we'll put it up here. Going forward, I feel like this is a good compass for us. And you'll see that it contains both sides. Verse 16. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit... Do not despise prophecies. So you have the one side of the equation. Look, this is a real part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So don't despise it. You know, don't quench the Holy Spirit. But then look what it says on the, on the other side of the ledger. But, verse 21, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil, excuse me, from every form of evil. So you've got both sides. You've got the balance there in that scripture. We're not to quench the Holy Spirit, but we are to test carefully our expressions and our community. So those are some preliminary thoughts. Let's talk about these terms, and some of those ideas will work out, I think, in the middle of this. So we're talking about healing miracles in tongues today. Um, Healing is to just simply cause somebody to be well. That's all that means. It's very simple. Jesus, uh, in the the scriptures, you know, we've got over 30 examples of Jesus healing people. So this was a huge part of his ministry. And and then we've got these other statements about um, how he went around healing, and we don't have specifics of how how many healings those are. And then at the end of the Gospel of John, you know, we're told that were we, were, John says, were I to write down everything that Jesus did, I suppose all the world couldn't contain the books. So this was a huge part of Jesus' ministry. But it wasn't just Jesus. When we fast forward into the book of Acts, which is the birth of the church, we see in the book of Acts all kinds of healings taking place now through the ministry of the disciples. So it wasn't just for Jesus, the healings. It was also part of the ministry of the disciples. And then, fast-forwarding to us, we look in the book of James and see that healing is still for us today. So that at the end of James, we read these words, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may... Oh, excuse me, let me go back to verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Always that focus. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then goes on to tell the story of Elijah and the prayer of a righteous person. And so this commission that comes from Jesus and then through the the apostles and then to us 
to be a people who seek the Lord for healing. It's part of what the ministry of the church is. And so you may ask, well, how are we going to do this in tangible ways? How are we going to experience healing and prayer for healing? And I, I, I certainly am not the one to orchestrate how this happens, right? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. So all, I can suggest a few things. And I, in, in my little world, in my little mind, here's how I've often pictured it and been praying that we would continue to grow as a church. During our communion time, we have a prayer corner in the back. And wouldn't it be great if maybe on many Sundays, somebody has connected with us or contacted us and say, I'm struggling with this issue. It could be physical ailment. It could be more of a spiritual thing. It could be you know, depression. It could be that I'm just stuck in my life. I, I just need, I need healing ministry. And, and so we, we're alerted to that maybe by some sort of communication with with our administrative person, and we call together a group of people to pray in the back corner for people who have need, for you if you have need. Now, this takes a bit of humility, right? you got to be willing to be humble and ask for help. But, hey, that's the, that's the life of following Jesus, right? I mean, the more humble we become and the more we express our need and our dependency, the more we open ourselves up to the filling of the Holy Spirit and the movement of God. So let's not be afraid of being humbled. Um, this is how I picture it. Now, I could see it taking place in home groups as well. When somebody has a need, people gathering around, anointing with oil and praying. Um, and, and, and let's just listen to the Lord of how he might be leading us in this, in those various ways. Now, I've got to move on. Miracles. The, the words there really mean works of power. There isn't this kind of word for miracle. It means works of power. And, and Jesus did all kinds of works of power. He changed the water into wine. That was his first thing. He calmed the storm. He fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. He fed the 4,000. He, he, and then the disciples he sent out to, to do miracles, and they, and they did. And, and then in the book of Acts, it says they did many. And then we've got here in the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians about how this is a spiritual gift that people have. Um, this is kind of exciting and scary to me honestly, uh, and yet I want to be faithful to the scripture. This is what the Bible teaches. I don't know what this looks like, but I look back to the life of Jesus and the apostles, and that gives me some sort of picture, some sort of framework of what that might look like. And some of you, I understand, will probably have a difficulty with the concept of miracles in general. And of course, we don't have time to dive into all the philosophical discussion about Miracles, but I would commend to you a book by C.S. Lewis entitled Miracles, uh, and in which you will find, I think, some good conversation about miracles. And one of the things that really ministered to me about that book um, long ago when I read it was just to change my mindset. I think that when we are thinking as a naturalist, we are confusing reality for the natural world. And what C.S. Lewis argues is that the, natu- the, the, the reality is greater than the natural world. And if we can get our minds uh, into that thought, then we can understand that, in fact, the natural world itself, the way there are natural laws, uh, that's a miracle in and of itself. And so were God to, to break that slightly in order to make a point, such as he did, for example, with the resurrection, it begins to make sense because this is something that the natural law, natural world is what he's upholding. 
It's nested in this greater reality. And so God intervening from time to time to make a point makes logical sense if you have that larger context. Anyway, we can't do justice to that at all. Go read the book Miracles by C.S. Lewis. Um, And let's go get coffee and talk about it. Anyway, um, what does it look like in practice to use the gift of miracles? Um, In my experience, this is the rarest one of all of them. Um, But we want to be faithful to explore this together. And it very well may be that there are people in this community of faith who have been tapped by the Holy Spirit to have the gift of miracles. And maybe they just don't have a context or a sense of freedom to be able to work that out. Um, Some thoughts about the gift of miracles. I think of Jesus and his trip to Nazareth, where he he came from. And when he goes back to do ministry there, the people question who he is and and why he does what he does. And at the very end of that, you, you might remember, he says, it says, and he could do no miracles there because of their lack of faith. So there's something some connection between the doing of miracles and the faith of the people that are present. And I want to remind us that when we gather as a church, you know, you're not just a passenger on a journey. You come in with faith, having worked out. And and if you're struggling with faith, that's great. That's fine. Then, you know, you're like the, the epileptic boy's father. You say, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, we can always pray for that, but we come in with faith as opposed to our default mode being skepticism about what's going to happen. God, rather than, God, you're probably not going to do anything here. Look at these people. You know, it's, it's God, what, do you, what are you going to do? Like the, like the leper, you know, if you will, you can heal me. Is this sort of posture of faith that I want to encourage us to assume when we gather for worship, when we gather in our home groups, when we come into a prayer meeting, to have that sense of expectancy. God, what are you going to do in this place right now? You can do anything. I believe that. What are you going to do to, to bring faith? Don't underestimate the significance of the faith that you bring to a gathering. Okay? So we come with faith. Now, I don't know what it would be like to have the gift of miracles, um, but I would imagine that if somebody really genuinely and truly had that gift, then ex- expression of it would be accompanied by a kind of a peaceful inevitability about what was going to take place. If there was something miraculous to occur, um, it would not be by force of one's willpower or whipping up sort of enthusiasm, but the moving of the Spirit would come with that kind of peaceful inevitability that I'm going to do this thing. Now, that's just sort of me thinking. But um, we need to be open to how God would move in this way. Let's move on to tongues. So healings, miracles, and tongues. The word for tongue simply means uh, dialect or language or speech. You go back to the Old Testament, and the people in the world were building a giant tower in Babel, and God came down and confused their language. This is sort of the beginning of the story of language in the Bible. He confused their language so they couldn't talk to one another. And they scattered all over the earth. And then you fast forward all the way to the New Testament. After Jesus has come, offers himself a sacrifice on the cross, raised from the dead. And shortly thereafter, 
the Spirit is poured out on the believers in Jerusalem. And, and people from all over the world, different countries and tongues and tribes are gathered in Jerusalem. And the Spirit is poured out on the church and they start speaking and the people watching from all over the world start hearing people speaking in their language, people who didn't know their language speaking in their language because of the work. So it's the reversal. A lot of people think of the, the Pentecost as the reversal of Babel, where people were split up. Now they're brought together. Communication is renewed, and the people of different nations and tribes and tongues are able to speak together. Then we see in the passage that we read that this gift of speaking in tongues is given throughout the body of Christ to the church. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? There are a couple of different ways that the gift of tongues express themselves. First of all, in Pentecost, you had intelligible tongues. So you had people speaking a real language that others could understand. And I've heard stories of that happening uh, in prayer gatherings where somebody begins to speak in tongues and, and they don't realize that they're speaking to somebody else in the room in a language that they know, but that the speaker doesn't actually know. So those are intelligible tongues. But the scripture also seems to give reserve this place for unintelligible tongues. Um, that is uh, speaking in a language that nobody present understands. And what's going on there, the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, is that a person is uttering mysteries in the spirit. Uttering mysteries in the spirit. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's an, a portion of what it means to follow Christ where we get to a certain point and language fails us. Have you ever experienced this? The goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the beauty of God, the, the movement of God in your life becomes so overwhelming that you can't find the words to capture it in praise or in response to God. Similar to the way the Holy Spirit groans with sighs too deep for words. See? This is characteristic of what it means to, to follow Christ. And tongues seems to capture that reality. When you go beyond what words could speak. Because the God of the universe is bigger than our reason and our intellect and our words. And sometimes we stand before in awe of that God and we just can't, our little minds can't express it. And, and that's where the gift of tongues may be a help for us, to utter mysteries. To praise God. Somebody prayed for me to receive the gift of tongues. And I was driving home, crossing the bridge in San Francisco. And I began to pray in tongues as I began to cross the, the bridge. And I prayed all the way the, across the Oakland Bridge till I got off. So whenever I go on the Oakland Bridge, I always have this sense of this beautiful moment when God broke through in my life to open a new season of prayer for me in praying in tongues. And, 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 and in my experience, it is that when language fails, and yet you still need to communicate with God to utter mysteries that are beyond reason and comprehension. And it's edifying, the scriptures tell us, to the person who speaks in tongues. There's some parameters around it. Not all have the gift of tongues, and that's okay, because people have other gifts, and that's fine. If we're in community, Paul teaches us, we shouldn't be speaking speaking tongues unless there's an interpreter. Why? Because the gift of, if, if you're just speaking an unintelligible language in community, then, then uh, you're, you're wasting the time of the community together unless somebody's going to interpret it. 
Paul says, I'd rather speak five clear words than 10,000 words in a tongue because he wants to keep the focus in the right place. Now, there may, in some cases, be an interpreter, and then, of course, this is part wrapped up with sort of the prophetic ministry of the church. Tongues is intended to build up the individual, and so we approach it in that way. Now, how would this practice practically happen? Um, I'm going to suggest that if the Holy Spirit is prompting you this morning that you would like, you're seeking the gift of tongues to be able to pray, we're going to have people in the back during our communion time, and you could just go back and say, you know what, I think God might be moving in my life to encourage me to seek prayer in, the, in tongues, and they will pray for you. Um, people who have kind of had experience with this, so we want to encourage you to do that. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you even right now during our communion time, you can go back there and ask somebody to pray for you. I think we could study this in our home groups, which we will do this week. And I would encourage us to be very careful not to create disunity and to appreciate where people are coming from and take the time to build unity so that we don't unnecessarily offend one another. Unity is more important than tongues, so we want to keep that. Um, And then just to be careful to follow the scriptural mandates on on how we, we do this. And you have that there in 1 Corinthians 14. And then just to let God be God, you know? We don't have to control any of these healing, miracles, and tongues. Now, what is God doing in all of this? You've ever had a guest come and visit you before, and they, they came on a day when the weather changed, and what do we say to that guest? We say, oh, thank you for bringing this great weather, right? Well, guess what? You know, we never really mean that when, when that happens, because they didn't bring it. In Jesus' case, that's actually what's happening. It's like when Jesus steps into the world, he's changing the climate. He's changing the season. And the kingdom of God is beginning to come upon us. And the sign gifts, healing, miracles, and tongues are meant to to increase our faith in that reality. That God is present among us. And to overcome some of the intellectual obstacles that we might have. And it comes in fits and starts. We never have enough of the Holy Spirit, but we always have what God wants us to have. And it will be enough for us to move through the day onto the next. And, and sometimes there will be seasons of great expression and sometimes there will be less so. And that's just not in our control. It's like the blowing of the wind. That's how Jesus talks about it. But in all of it, this is the key thing that we have to remember. It's never about the sign. It's never about the sign. It's about the giver of the sign who loves us and can give to us because of the great work that Christ did on the cross. And if you're somebody who's exploring the faith, this is where you start. In fact, for all of us, this is where we always start with Jesus Christ on the cross and then in the resurrection. It's because of that work and the cleansing that the cross brings and the hope of the resurrection that then we can begin to seek confidently the giver of gifts. And in doing so, he is generous with us. So we pray, Lord, would you send your spirit, send your gifts, send your grace ministries. Help us in this moment to be open to your leading. We pray that as you pour out your goodness into us, we would be like willing vessels ready to receive from you. And as we come to this table this morning, we come with open hands ready to receive from you. We cherish 
and praise you for your goodness. We know that in the gathered church with the Spirit present, you might be doing important things right now in our lives. We want to be faithful not to let those drop. So give us humility, an urgency to seek prayer, an openness and a dependency upon you that you might fill us and pour out and pour through us the ministry of grace that you have. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.